0: Well, as we are in our second week on the series of Finding Joy, uh, I'm going to take you to where anybody would go to find joy, big hair guitarists. I'm going to show you some big hair guitarists, and you can even put in the chat if you know who they are and what band they played with. That's a two-part chat opportunity right here. So here are three of the best. Uh, Before I even describe who they are for you, I just wanna tell you this in, in the 80s, particularly in the late 80s, I was teaching guitar to a lot of high school and middle school uh, students, kids that all wanted to be big hair guitar players. And uh, sadly, they didn't, hardly ever did they wanna know any of these songs. So the two bands they were into regularly was Rat and Poison. Now put them together, it's Rat, Poison. It just like it's strange names for bands. Uh, I could even go through the songs, but I won't. I had to teach those songs over and over again. And almost all of them had big hair like this. They were all growing it out. I couldn't even do it when I tried back then. It just looked like an ugly mullet that just looked like serious white trash. Now, in case you don't know who these are, the one all the way to my left is Neil Schoen of Journey. This is Alex Lifeson of Rush and Richie Sambora of Bon Jovi. Three great big hair guitarists three that I enjoyed and deeply loved. Now, one of the strange things when I was teaching guitar to these students was that they wanted to get to this place where they could play really well. They'd play all these solos. That's what they wanted. They wanted me to teach it to them. And I had to begin with simple things like, do you know how to play a scale? Do you know how to even hold your pick? Do you know what a chord is? And once they found out they had to do all this work to get where they wanted to go, suddenly it didn't look so appealing to them. In fact, oftentimes it was like, I want to get here without any effort. And we might even say it a simple way is there's sacrifice to get to the great end that you want. In fact, this isn't true just in learning how to play the guitar. We know it from lots of areas. Many of you, uh, you have really emphasized at this phase of life, a form of health. You've said, you know what? It's really important that I have health. So in order to do that, I have to sacrifice eating what I love For eating what's healthy. I have to sacrifice sitting on my couch and using my remote for getting up and working out. I have to sacrifice actually going to bed and getting sleep for staying up. Those are things I sacrifice now for this great experience later. If we were to say it in a very simple way, it's that we make sacrifice to get to ultimate joy, to get to those things that matter most. What I want to do is look at that principle of finding joy, but in a very mystical add-on way, something even greater than if I sacrifice, I find joy to. Life can be full of sacrifice, and joy may be something that is passed down, not even achieved, but when we look to where we're going, we can find it. In a sense, if you think of life, if you think of what we do as this journey, as this race we're on, I want us to consider that finding joy is on the other side of sacrifice. Well, to do that, we're gonna look at a particular passage. It's in the letter to the Hebrews. And it's a unique one to these people that had grown up in Judaism, but had become followers of Jesus. They looked and said, we actually think Messiah is who he said he was, and we want to live differently. And this letter is written to them to encourage them. And it begins in this chapter 12 with these words, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Now, I want to pause here because it goes back to an earlier piece of the passage, and I want to explain that, and then we'll come back to this. But just consider here this statement, we're surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses. I want you to see it this way because cloud, in the Greek, there's two words for cloud, and this particular one doesn't just mean a cloud, it means a dense group of clouds. It's a cloud covering, it's clouds all over the place, if you will. And so the author's telling us, guess what? You're not alone. And whatever you're going through, you're not alone. We have a cloud of witnesses. We're surrounded by them. They're right here. Look around, look back. And so actually the passage before this, the chapter before speaks of this. In Hebrews 11, it gives this phrase at the beginning of it. it says, by faith, by faith, by faith, about every single one. Now, now, in case you don't know what the idea of faith is, it's actually defined in the letter. They say this, that Faith is being certain of what we don't see, of certain of what we hope for. In other words, you can't see it. You can't experience it, but you know that you know that you know that it's out there. It's something greater that though you can't tangibly touch, you are so aware, and it changes how you live. Now, I want you to consider that because that's an element of what we're living in right now. You and I are living in uncertainty, confusion, all sorts of questions, And the first thing we wanna say is let's look behind us. Let's look who's gone before us and see how they lived by faith, trusting that even though it doesn't look good, it doesn't matter because they know something that's not seen. They know something that's certain. Now, what happens in this chapter is they go through person after person. In fact, it starts actually with Abel. Cain and Abel, these two brothers, it says Abel, by faith, offered a sacrifice that was pleasing to God, and Cain did not. The simple reality was Abel gave God the first of what he had, trusting more would come. He believed if he gave him the first, God would provide everything else. Cain waited till he was sure he had enough. And it goes person after person. Now, I'll take you through some of them because I think it's very helpful. As it continues on, it goes through a few, and then it gets to Abraham. And Abraham has lots of things that it speaks about by faith. In fact, one of them very simply is that Abraham by faith was told, hey, Abraham, go to a land I'm not gonna show you. I'm gonna make you multiply and be a people that fill the earth. Abraham's older and he has no idea where he's going. But he believes in what is unseen and he steps out. And there's story after story, actually, within the chapter of multiple times that Abraham walked by faith, even given the son Isaac. And, and it speaks of Sarah the same way. It says that when she was older, a time she would never be able to have kids, yet by faith she believed that God could do this. And in her old age is given a son, Isaac, by faith. Somehow joy out of the emptiness and brokenness of life. She keeps walking and trusting. What I love when it speaks of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is each one it's told about by faith, they pass it on to their kids. In other words, Abraham gives to Isaac this promise. See, God promises him he'll be more numerous in his descendants than the stars, but on his deathbed, he has one kid. So he's believing a promise he can't even see and saying, son, I pass this on to you. By the way, that's how we're supposed to live. We pass on what we know, what is unseen that we believe for. Isaac, it says, does the very same thing, passing it on to Jacob. And then it goes on to Moses, this great story of a man who's born really in bondage, should have been killed, ends up being raised by Egyptians, walks away from that to be with his people, actually leaves the land he's in trusting God and comes back to be the one that God uses to deliver Israel all sorts of stories about him, each time by faith having to step out, by faith going to Pharaoh and saying things that nobody would say on the hope of their life, by faith trusting even in the midst of the despair, he could step out into an area where the water wasn't even parted and it parts. By faith believing God would take them to a new land, which by the way, he never gets to see, but even though he doesn't get there, he trusts in what is unseen and know it's coming, even though he doesn't get to see it. I hope you're starting to see the pattern. They include Rahab in this. Rahab is a prostitute in a city that Israel's gonna take out, but she helps hide these spies. And God says, for this, by faith, her trusting that God was moving because she'd been hearing about Israel, they save her and her whole family, God does. And then it goes on, story after story that we grab onto of what faith is. They tell great stories of victory. He goes through name after name, people like Gideon, Barak, these great stories from the scriptures of, for example, with Gideon, where God gives him a very, very small army and yet defeats a huge army through God's power because Gideon trusts in what is unseen, not what is seen. By faith, he runs this race of life and somehow finds a joy on the other time of trusting sacrifice. Story after story of victory is told in this chapter, but then it moves on to stories of defeat. It speaks of believers, people that followed God and trusted him for the future that are sawn into, that are beaten and persecuted, that are taken out, that live in great struggle and great difficulty, never to see the other side. And the only thing it says about them, I love this. It's so powerful to me. It says the world was not worthy of them. In other words, there's something powerful about the joy they could imagine in what was coming even though they didn't see it and didn't realize it. Somehow they trusted and could live a life of sacrificial love knowing they were putting it forward for maybe the next generation or the next generation or five generations out, believing somewhere God would move. And then it gives this wonderful culmination at the end of the chapter. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, for us, we're included, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. In other words, made whole, another moved ahead. Something powerful would happen, but only with us alongside of it. In a sense, what this is saying, what the author is saying, giving us this beautiful picture of faith, and then goes on to say these words again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, it's a picture for you and me in our circumstance. You see, we don't just sit in uncertainty and confusion and even in difficulty, but we sit on the shoulders of, in the background, around these huge witnesses from the past and even the present that have gone before us that give us hope and confidence in the midst of our struggle. We look at that all through scripture. We look at it with Jesus as the fulcrum of the huge and true perfection of it. We'll look in that in a little bit, but we look beyond that, even beyond the early church and all that they gave up, whether their life went well or not. Stephen, Stephen, who shares who Jesus is and is stoned and killed and on his death as they're throwing and killing him, he sees heaven and says, God, forgive them. And he enters in and sees the glory of God. Joy on the other side of sacrificial love. It's not just there, it goes on through our whole history as the church. You see, the church is our family. We don't even think about legacy or ways that we enter in together. We tend to think of ourselves as who we are in this generation, and maybe there's a place here or there in our background, but it's so kind of homogenized, so kind of watered down with so many different cultures and ways. We don't know what story is ours, and yet when we follow Jesus, we're part of a great story of a great family. I I was thinking about that even with this pandemic and thinking of the role the church has played through all of history in pandemics Because you know what believers did through all these pandemics and all of history? When people were dying and there was no way around it, they were the ones caring for the sick at their own risk of death, because somehow they said, I think to sacrifice for others is a greater joy and a greater purpose than to hide and protect myself. Now, I'm not saying that to say how you should live in terms of going out or not. I'm talking about sacrificial love that says, I will put myself at risk for a reason to care for others. We can look at that even in our own lives. I wonder who around you, you could look at and go, listen, these are the people that have gone before me. I oftentimes, when I talk to people about their life, either growing up in the church or even in their adulthood, we tend to tell the stories of disheartening struggle. We tell the stories of those who've betrayed or hurt or seemed hypocritical, but we miss the great stories of our family that have walked before us in great courage, great sacrificial love, great hope and joy. I I think in my own life of my own mother who walked in a way with Jesus, I just couldn't deny. I could watch and see and go, there's something real about this. And there's something that I hear her witness even though she's not with us anymore, even though she's in God's presence that she's calling out, cheering us on. I, I think of those who are still living now that have been part of shaping our own church. I, I think of people who've gone before us, people like Pat Jonas and Audrey DeWard. And I think of people that are here with us like Ralph Bainham and people that have shaped our church like Dennis Jackson and people that have shaped my life like Jackson Crum. I start to think of these different people and go, they're my cloud of witnesses. I'm not alone. And in the midst of what's going on for us, we are surrounded, look back, look around. In fact, if I were to say it, we're gonna look today in this passage and I'll just give you this so you know where we're going. We're gonna talk about the race that we're called to run, that it's a journey. And that's the main part of all of this passage, but there are three kind of defining, if you wanna say they're participles, but they're ways of defining how we run it. And the first one's right here that we're surrounded, that literally we have around us witnesses that we're not alone. These people cheering us on from their very lives. And maybe in a time like this, you and I need to look back and look around at who shows us that sacrificial love that reminds us there is a joy much better on the other side of this, on the other side of sacrificial love. They go before us. And then this author continues. Let us then throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles. By the way, if this were the first participle, this is the second one, throw off. Literally, means to lay aside, to get rid of, to set limits, to untangle sin. (laughs) You know, I, I was considering this even in what we're going through right now because it's an interesting time. Everything's been taken from us. And as things will, and they will, begin to come back to normalcy, you and I will hear the question, what will you throw off? What will you lay aside that keeps you from running the greater race Jesus made you for? I wonder if even now is a time for us to begin talking about considering asking God, what are those things I've let grab onto my life that keep me from running in the direction of you that I've settled for them and said your race really can come later. It's not important, here's my race. And then the other side of this is the sin that entangles us, that we all have patterns and ways we choose in life that destroy us, that build in struggle and deficit and harm. And this beautiful writer says to us, listen, you look back, but you also throw off these things, get rid of them, set limits, untangle sin. And then they get to the center of it, let us run. With perseverance, the race marked out for us. I I don't know if you realize this, but God marked a race for you. It's a race only you can run and he has only for you. And don't worry, he's not worried you made one wrong turn and you're off track. He's gonna keep pushing and inviting you back even where you make mistakes and mess up. But consider it this way. Some years ago, uh, I did a a 5K with my youngest son, Jonah, and he'd been training for it. And I thought, I don't need to train, I run some. So I decided to run the race. I got into the race and I began to be frustrated watching people that were older than me, considerably older, running at faster paces. And so what I decided to do is I better keep up. I'm looking bad. But keeping up literally meant I was sucking air significantly and sadly. And what it reminded me of was I was trying to run their race, not mine that I could only run what I could run based on where I was and who I was. And the beauty is God has given a race for you to run. It's marked out for you. It will be incredibly joyful and wonderful if you just jump into the race he has for you. Even sitting there stuck at home, there's a race for you to run that is his. It's powerful, it's redemptive, it's beautiful, and it's better than anything you could run on your own run the race with perseverance. I want to say something of this word perseverance for us because I have no doubt that some of you are really weary and run down, that you're run down at the loss of a job, that you're run down sitting at home having unbelievable marital strife, trying to navigate being together all the time, that you're overwhelmed managing kids in the house, that you're overwhelmed managing, taking your kids to your ex-spouse and dealing with all of the fallout of that, even from health issues, that you're overwhelmed by just how life's been hard and it feels like another beat down. And there's an encouragement to run with perseverance. Don't give up. Man, look back, look back with, look back at those who've gone before you and those around you, you're not alone. And oh, don't just look back, throw off the other things, let your life become more simplified that you could actually run what God has for you. And then they take it in this kind of crescendo way, fix your eyes on Jesus. The pioneer, the perfecter of faith, this is the third participle right here, fixing. It's literally looking, stare at, focus and follow. Follow who he is and what he's done. Jesus is the fulcrum of all of our lives as people who follow him because what he's done is he took all that happened before him and he brought it to completeness by how he lived. In fact, that's what we're encouraged to follow is not just fixing our eyes on him but what he did in this journey himself. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus had great joy in where he was in heaven, but he had a greater joy looking at what could happen if he would live and come to this earth and live on our behalf, die on our behalf, and rise on our behalf. It's fascinating the way Jesus is described through several of the gospel accounts. One says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The idea that he said, the father to the son, go and do this, and the son said, you bet I will. I will actually lay down my life for these others. I will bring sacrificially love, even in the scorn of the shame of the cross, so that those that want to be with us can, because they follow me. Later, right, it's kind of the culmination of Jesus' life with his disciples. He says this, greater love has no one then they lay down their life for their friends. In other words, the greatest love is sacrificial love and sacrificial love will always lead to greater joy. That's the race that he ran for us and then invites us to run the same way. How can you and I live a race where we live in sacrificial love and find greater joy? Because guess what? When you live that way, your circumstances can't mess it up. It's crazy when you think about the message that Jesus gives and the early church gives. Jesus says things like, if you want to save your life, you must lose it. To lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. It's this beautiful idea that when we try to self-protect, it doesn't lead to greater joy and purpose. But when we let go and live sacrificially, something greater can happen. Paul, one of our earliest leaders, says it this way, you know what, I'm going to be poured out like an offering. And I would rather be poured out and live in this mess because sacrificially for you, I believe it will be greater joy to everyone. And in case you don't know Jesus' greater joy, it's this, that he is restored in relationship with you if you'll receive his forgiveness. In essence, he's saying, I so much want to be connected to you that I'm willing to lay down my life. And that's the pattern in the way of faith. We trust in what is unseen because what is unseen is unshakable. Jesus love his death his resurrection and his forgiveness they continue consider him was endured such opposition so that you will not grow weary and lose heart i thought this was an important word for us today cuz i know for many we can grow weary and lose heart we look at our circumstances and we go unless they get better i don't know what to do i need this to find relief And I want to say to you, run the race marked out for you. God has made you for something much greater than whether it goes well or poorly. Whether you're in victory or whether you're in defeat, the world is not worthy of you when you run the race in such a way that you can look back. You can look back and see those who've gone before us and go, wow, they build my own faith. They're cheering you on. I know it's hard right now. I know it's difficult. Hang in there. Instead of moving to self-preserve, move in sacrificial love. Who can you care for? and do more for right now. Don't just sit there. I also want to encourage you, throw off, get rid of, set limits and untangle sin. You know, this is such a unique window we're in right now where everything's been stripped away from us. And you'll have a chance before it starts piling back on to go, what are the things I need to throw off right now? Because I've kind of sacrificed the race that God has me for a race of self preservation, a race of self-comfort, a race of moving myself and my circumstances better when the race Jesus calls us to is one of great love that lays down our very situations for others because there's a greater joy beyond it. You know, in a sense, the Christian life really is saying we give up now for what we gain later. And what we gain later are others. It's building a bigger family. It's loving more people into the very kingdom. It's helping others discover the sacrificial life and way of Jesus that we follow in the very way he lived. In a sense, the key to the race is sacrificial love and it leads to greater joy. I wonder for those of us who follow Jesus, if we haven't gotten off track a bit, We like some sacrificial love, but we want to see results. We like some idea of caring for others as long as it doesn't cost us too much. And yet Jesus invites us, fix your eyes on me. Follow the very way I live, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, even scorning its shame, knowing the shame of it isn't wonderful, but the result is unbelievable. That Jesus would give up his life so you and I can enter into his family The joy that's greater for him is knowing us and us knowing him. And I wonder what would happen if you and I began to seek a joy like that. One that the race God marked out for us, we would go, you know what? I'll let go of these self-protective things and I will give for others so that I can know the joy of Jesus, whether he gets better or not. See, that's not the ultimate decision because we trust that God will move. Maybe it's something we'll pass down to our kids, to our grandkids. That's where it will get better but we know even if it's not true in this lifetime, it will be forever. And that's what we rest in in these times, not just uncertainty, but things that are unshakable. See, our circumstances can't shake loose the joy that we'll ultimately have and the joy we can even have in sacrificial selfless love. Greater love has no one than this that they lay down their life for their friends. And you look at the witnesses around you, you throw off the other things that are weighing you down and the sin that messes you up, that you hide from it, that you shamefully live in. And then you fix your eyes on Jesus. I I wanna pray for us who follow Jesus in a minute, but I don't wanna miss a chance. If you're with us today and you're going, man, I'm worn out and beaten down. I can't keep running this race on my own the way I'm doing. And there's a mess around me. And rather than even hearing the invitation to run a race, I want you to hear the invitation of a race that's been run for you. Because Jesus ran what he ran in the way he ran, because greater love has no one than to lay down his life for his friends. And one of the friends he laid his life down for is you. And maybe for you today, it's just responding to that. And so if that's you today, you can feel the Spirit stirring you. You're going, you know what? I don't wanna keep living for me. I'm, I'm restless. I'm, I'm in a deep spot of pain. I can't fix this. I don't know how to get out of it. I just want you to pray this with me. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for running a race that you died on a cross for my sin. Thank you for your forgiveness. I receive it. And Lord, give me the joy that there is in knowing you as you've prayed that Lord I pray for each one that did today that they would begin to encounter your presence in a new way and they would begin to hear your invitation to this new race but more than anything they would feel the joy of relationship with you and then Lord for the rest of us I pray uniquely that you would help us to walk with you in this journey in a new way that we would look back, we would look around. Lord, that we wouldn't just look back and around, but we would throw off the things that keep us from the race you have for us, that we would see and know the race. And God, we would fix our eyes on you. We would live in a way of sacrificial love that leads to greater joy. We would look to what is unseen, not what is seen. I pray this in your name and your power, amen.